Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, December 7th. We begin with a look at the COP15 World Conference on Biodiversity taking place this week in Montreal. We speak with Curtis Hayne of the Marine Stewardship Council of Canada on one of the main focuses of this year's event, ocean biodiversity, and the role Canada plays in protecting the health of the world's largest ecosystem. Next, the great experiment has ended, so what was the outcome of the UK's four-day workweek pilot project, which took place over a period of six months, and could this model actually work in Canada? We discuss with Jean-Nicolas Rate, a professor of organizational behavior at McGill University. Then we launch the second annual Mitten Project, a chance to give back to Calgary's homeless population during the chilly months ahead. We get details on the impact your donation can make to those in need from Chaz Smith, founder and CEO of local outreach program Be The Change YYC. And finally, he's known for wanting to rock and roll all night and party every day. Now, Gene Simmons of KISS has partnered with Calgary-based distillery Minhas Brewery to produce a one-of-a-kind vodka called Moneybag. We catch up with the rock legend to discuss his foray into the world of spirits. COP15 kicks off today in Montreal. The world's top scientific minds will talk about what needs to be done to protect the world's oceans and biodiversity. Joining us with some insight on this year's conference is Curtis Hain, Program Director of Marine Stewardship Council of Canada. Good morning to you, Curtis. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We use these short forms all the time, but what exactly, what does it stand for, first of all, and what is COP15? Yeah, so... so COP15 stands for the Conference of Parties, and really um, it's an opportunity in time to bring together delegates from almost 200 nations around the globe to really come together and try and solve the problem of biodiversity loss. And biodiversity is just the variety of life living on our planet. Um, We're in a bit of a crisis. We've seen um, massive reductions in biodiversity, and, and the goal coming out of this is to create a global framework and global goals to halt biodiversity loss by 2030 and really um, recover by start to recover biodiversity by 2050 um, so that's what a lot of different uh, people from around the globe are, are in Montreal now for Curtis let's dig down and get into the ocean biodiversity and I know it's probably a loaded question coming from your world but why is it important to prioritize prioritize the ocean biodiversity and what sort of an impact does that have on the, the globe yeah. as a whole yeah, and that's a big reason uh, myself and our organization, Marine Research Council, here is just to remind delegates that the oceans are a big part of this. Uh, oceans are 70% um, of life on, our, on Earth, the largest ecosystem, and there's some worrying trends we're seeing in oceans as well. Um, everyone talks about sharks. Um, sharks and ray populations have de- declined 71% since 1970. Um, and the big thing is healthy, diverse, biodiverse oceans are also vital for all life on Earth. Um, it's for food, it's for culture, it's for transportation. Um, it's also food security. Uh, the, the demand against our oceans is going to double by 2050. So as an organization, we are really um, uh, want to ensure that we can feed future generations uh, sustainably out of the ocean. So it's, it's critically important. Curtis, what do we do as Canadians? What do we do to, to help protect our oceans and, and keep sustainability strong? It's always a good question, and there's a lot of things you can do day-to-day and your listeners can do day-to-day. One is, so we're a sustainable seafood organization. There's a little bluefish tick logo um, on a lot of seafood you buy at the grocery store. It means it's sustainable. Um, it's traceable within the supply chain. Um, that's always a good choice, and that 
um, ensures that you're eating sustainable seafood and you're contributing to um, uh, the future sustainability of, of um, fish stocks and seafood. That's important because we're also seeing overfishing increase. So we're at about 35%. 35.4% of all stocks globally that are overfished, so we've got to halt that trend as well. Um, but then there's also other little things, reducing single-use plastic use, um, uh, looking at your carbon footprint. I think climate change is one thing that's that's affecting all ecosystems on, around our planet, so just being more cognizant of your climate footprint as well. There's there's lots, but, I mean, we're here today to also remind governments that they have to make meaningful action um, towards halting biodiversity loss as well. So it's, it's, it's a collective effort. Um, globally. Curtis, your focus is our nation and what we can do our parts, uh, but how do we as a nation stack up against other nations in the world when it comes to ocean biodiversity and, and, and prioritizing it? Well, I think we actually do a pretty good job, and I'll speak to it from, a, again, a, a fishery certification process. So our organization um, uh, works with fisheries to improve and become certified. There's about 15% of all fisheries globally that meet our standard for sustainability. In Canada, it's 61%. That's among the top five nations globally in terms of um, certification coverage. So, so doing pretty good there. Um, our, there is quite a large focus on our oceans, where obviously that's important because uh, we're a coastal nation. We, we border three oceans, so it's really important, as I said. Oceans and seafood are just critical to um, livelihoods of coastal communities and also the culture of Canada. It's, it's kind of woven throughout all coastal communities, so it's important we, we do invest. Um, I do think having COP here in Montreal is a good opportunity to demonstrate our leadership and also enhance our leadership. We should be making more meaningful targets to keep this momentum going and further protect our oceans and lakes and rivers. Curtis, thanks so much for breaking it down this morning. Appreciate you letting us know what's happening today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Curtis Hain, Program Director at the Marine Stewardship Council of Canada. You can learn more at msc.org. Well, for the past six months, 70 UK companies took part in a four-day workweek pilot project, largest of its kind. What was the outcome and, and could it lead to wider adoption? Maybe here in Canada. Joining us to talk about it is Jean-Nicolas Rait, who is an Associate Professor of Organizational Behaviour at McGill University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So is that the gist of it? Four-day work week you put in, is it still an eight-hour day, a little bit longer? Sort of what were the parameters of this pilot project? Okay, so the parameters of the pilot project were to go from around 40 hours a week to 35 hours a week. Um, and it's really similar to what's been happening also in the pilot project that was in Iceland. Um, so it's not really a four-day work week. It's more a four-day, like four-day and a half, right? Because you have countries like France that are already at 35 hours a week. And for them, it's five days. All right, broke down the parameters surrounding it, Professor. Let's break down the result. Uh, how did it come out on the other end? Was it continued uh, considered a success? It really was considered a success by the companies that participated in the experiment. Um, I think, you know, it's important to know that this is a project that was very, very popular among employees. And so, of course, what you end up with is employees very, very happy with the way it went. Um, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is a bit counterintuitive sometimes to think that reducing work time could actually increase performance. Uh, but that's what they're reporting. Although I have to say, you know, that this is not a controlled experiment, right? This is a self-selected sample of companies. Um, so a lot of things could be happening, right? Employees could be observed and, you know, maybe wanting to make a good impression or wanting to really for this to work. So I think, you know, there needs to be more testing to see if these mm -hmm. effects 
are translating on the long term. How did they determine? Was it sort of a was there a dollar value attached, or just what people thought and felt? How did it sort of you know work out in in terms of how you figured whether it was a success or not? Right. So so this is kind of like where where you know there could be a little bit some issues some issues in the study. But so a lot of it are self report, which is you know employees are just saying how they feel about about you know their mental health and their work life balance, and there were a lot of improvements there. Uh, meaning it really did help, you know, having half a day more uh, did help according to employees. Um, and then you have a dollar value, right? But this is kind of like a difficult dollar value to estimate, right? Because I was saying that there is no control group. So mm-hmm. it means, you know, we don't know how much it would have raised, uh, how much the dollar value would have increased without the experimental treatment. Um, but it seems, you know, that these companies, uh, the vast majority of them want to continue the experiment, which is not what happened, you know, in the past when there were some four-day workweek experiments. In, in the 70s, for example, there were a bunch of them done, but the idea was to condense the work week instead, you know, condense the number of hours, so having 40 hours, out, you know, in four days instead of five days. And employees were excited at first, but a lot of them would quit the program after six months. That's what you're seeing here. Uh, employees are excited and continue being excited six months later. All right, so that has longevity. But let's go back in time and talk about, you know, we have had this five-day work week standard for, for quite some time, and uh, now we're seeing things like this pilot project. Why have we not questioned this earlier, Professor? Why is it now that we're looking at this, and why do we still have the five-day work week? I mean, so so the five-day work week was really invented a hundred years ago, a very very long time ago. I mean, just imagine the iPhone came out in two thousand and eight, right? Like not even fifteen years mm-hmm. ago. So a hundred years ago, life was completely different, um, and we were working at the time forty hours a week. Um, and I think you know the priority over the past hundred years uh, have shifted. For a long time, the priority was consumption. And so it was just for people to have a better way of life. And so a lot of the productivity gains have been assigned, you know, to having consuming more, having more. Uh, but what you're seeing now is people who are overworked and don't really care that much anymore about consuming or consuming a lot. And they're valuing their time a lot. So the, the parameter that was held fixed, which is the number of hours per week, right? Now is considered more and more a variable. Professor, I have a question rolling in on our text line right now from Danny, who's wondering, uh, were these salary-based employees? Because if they're, you know, paid on an hourly basis, reducing the, reducing the hours they work obviously might not be beneficial to them. But were these salary-based people? So all of them were salary-based people, and the deal of the four-day work week, which is probably why you know it's it's been working for employees, is that we maintain the salary um, and we just reduce the hours. Do you think the that, goal is really to move away from just counting time or counting hours as a measure of productivity? Mm-hmm. For like a lot of jobs, you know, counting the number of hours that people spend working is is not really a good indicator of how productive they are. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, right? If you just think about the movie The Office, right? Like a lot of people, um, you know, just just do nothing, right, or just walk around or something. So now the goal is to say. We're going to have better indicators of productivity. We're going to move away from time and really focus on results. 
How much of an impact do you think the pandemic was, Professor, as far as us looking at uh, the structure of work, the hours we worked? Do you think that blew up the whole model? Because to a large extent, so many of us did not ever have the opportunity to work from home. And then we found out through necessity that we could work from home in the same way perhaps we figure out we could work less hours. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's been, so I did my, my thesis, my doctoral thesis on, on work from home. And one of the main issues I was running into was that companies were not interested. Companies were not interested in collaborating because they were just limiting work from home to a few executives that they could trust or like two to five percent of the population. It never was a big thing. And it's because managers um, just didn't believe in it. They thought, you know, people would just do nothing and, you know, eat bonbons all day and sleep and, and, and the world would collapse. And so that didn't happen, which, you know, and it also brought up like something new, which is that now we had a window for a couple of years into people's lives. And so now we know if they're taking care of an elderly parent, well, we know that. If they have a bunch of kids, we know that as well. So, you know, if they're coming to you with requests to have more flexibility to accommodate real constraints, like real-life constraints, it's harder to say no because, because you've seen their lives. Professor, can I get your home number so I can give it to my boss? Because <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, I'd be happy to. I, I imagine there are a lot of people who are really interested in this because it, it's been, you know, it's been talked about of late quite a lot. And now, you know, moving through the pandemic, that people have realized that they need a little bit more work-life balance, and maybe this is one way to get there. Absolutely, and you know, just something really that I think seals the deal for me. But the five-day work week was invented based on the premise that, you know, families would only have one working parent. That was the deal. There would be one working mm-hmm. parent who would feed everybody. And then you would have, like, a parent would stay at home and would take care of the kids. We've been, that's been taken away from us. Most people can't do that anymore. And so the 40 work week can help them get there. Yeah. Very interesting conversation, Mm -hmm. and I know that uh, from our standpoint, we're interested. Let's get the ball rolling, (laughs) Uh, and it uh, starts with conversations like these. Thanks so much, Professor. Thank you so much for having me. Jean-Nicolas Reit, Associate Professor, Organizational Behavior at McGill University. Well, we started it last year, and we will continue to make it a yearly cause. We call it the Mitten Project, and we'll be collecting new gloves and mittens, maybe some socks thrown in for good measure as well, for Calgary's homeless and vulnerable population. Joining us now is Chaz Smith, activist, LGBTQ and homeless rights advocate, founder and CEO of Be The Change YYC Street Outreach. Morning, Chaz. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Sue. Thank oh, you for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you know, this, uh, we, we love doing this. It, we did it for the first time last year, and it was a huge success, the Mitten Project. So we're doing it again, asking Calgarians to donate new mitts and gloves, and then we'll hand the donations off to you. So tell us, what is it like out there on Calgary streets? We're lucky right now, as Chinook has blown in, but past couple of days, it has been freezing cold. What have you and your team been seeing out there? Yeah, uh th- the same thing that we've been seeing for almost over seven years when it comes to uh, winter. Unfortunately, folks, uh, of course, are still, you know, sleeping outside um, when they aren't able to access shelters due to, uh, you know, a barrier or they're just um, choosing not to go due to safety concerns. But um, for many folks, of course, shelters are are an option. But for those that aren't, uh, we're really trying to triage them the best we can. So many of those folks that aren't accessing 
um, are unfortunately getting frostbite. So we see, you know, three different stages of frostbite before uh, it gets to that deep level where the the tissue starts to die, unfortunately, and um, leads to um, some of those uh, other concerns that we have, like amputation. Um, so to mitigate that, uh, thanks to the program that you helped with last year as well, we handed out over 2,600 pairs of gloves to, to folks in very vulnerable positions to try and prevent that. We'll awesome. Get, we have more details on how you can get those gloves into the hands and on the hands of those who need them in a second. But, Chaz, for those folks who, who might be new to Calgary or have maybe not heard Be the Change YYC, uh, break down a little bit more about, about what your organization does, not just during the winter months, but all year. Yes, yeah, so we walk the streets. Uh, we're boots on the ground. We provide emergency essentials. So you might see our team out uh, in, in the downtown core. Uh, we also drive around city uh, on call as needed. Uh, when we have capacity as well. But we focus on the core because there's a large majority of folks that come here for services. And so we walk the streets uh, pulling wagons. We have our high visibility vests and our wagons uh, are full of supplies, uh, emergency essentials like food, water, clothing, hygiene, harm reduction. And of course, our outreach workers are equipped with program referrals because ultimately we really want to help end the cycle of homelessness. And of course, how do we do that? That's one person at a time, uh, providing referrals to housing, uh, detox, mental health services, really meeting folks where they're at in their time of need, uh, supporting them with their basic needs to survive, but then um, talking to them, creating meaningful uh, um, relationships with them uh, to bring them back into community and help support them on their journey out of homelessness. Well, while you continue and we, we watch, we help, we do all we can to help you and your team as you try and fight to end homelessness, we're going to try and make sure that uh, these folks who are out on the street and living in the rough are kept a little bit warm, at least through some mittens, some gloves for men, women. If you've got socks you want to throw in there, that's a need too. But it's called the Mitten Project for a reason, and we like people, Shaz, to drop off their mitts. Here at the radio station, we're at 200 3320 17th Ave Southwest, so 17th Avenue, 33rd Street. There's a little pull-in where you can just park the car, run in. We've got a donation box right inside the, the front doors in the lobby there. You just throw your mittens in the box and go back to your car and off you go. It's that easy. It's that simple. But it really, really will make a huge difference. Thanks for breaking it down for us and hoping that we can uh, give you a big, big, huge box of mitts and gloves to help the folks that are out on the streets again this year. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, together we can do so much more. So thank you for all your help. Appreciate it, Chaz. Chaz Smith, activist, homeless rights advocate, founder of Be The Change YYC. You can get more info on his organization at bethechangeyyc.org. And Andy, again, just really simple to come by the station and drop those mitts and gloves off. They don't have to be the expense. I've seen gloves now at uh, Costco, the heated ones, for $190. You can get very... That's great. You don't have to be fancy. You can no. get the $5 pair of gloves. Something uh, warm. Yeah, something new. And uh, you know what? The difference is, and when we first did uh, Sue DL's idea... Uh, spoke with Chaz about this. He said, yeah, it's, it's the little things. Mm. We always think about the coats. Great. There's so many great projects, but the Mitten Project, something near and dear to our hearts. We'll be telling you about it throughout the next uh, few weeks for sure. This is a pretty special day. It's not very often you get to talk to a legend. Joining me this morning, Gene Simmons. Yes, the one and only co-founder, frontman of the iconic band Kiss. Good morning, Gene. Is this really you? Am I talking to Gene Simmons? Yeah, people think I'm Richard Simmons, you know, the guy with the orange hair who worked out the ladies that uh, 
On the other hand, working out ladies, well, we're not allowed to comment on that anymore. We know your history for sure. Fun. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. That's the fun. You can't say anything about it. You can't joke. You can't. Oh, my God, kill me now. It's awful. <laughs> well, we're going to have some fun. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We could also call you a marketer extraordinaire, and now we can add founder of the new Moneybag Vodka, being distributed by Calgary's own Minhas Brewery and Distillery. So we'll talk about your foray into spirits in just a minute, but I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about Kiss, because, frankly, how could I well, not? Wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 oh, wait. Yes? I, I'm partnering with a local distillery, the fabulous Minhas Distillery, and it's a family business. Don't kid yourself. Mm-hmm. Mom, the whole family, Ravinder and his whole family, the kids and his wife were on the Kiss Cruises with us recently. Uh, yes, kids, the Kiss Cruises. So the Minhas uh, Distillery and I teamed up to produce money bag vodkas in Calgary, kids, right in your own backyard, and for distribution in Alberta, Western Canada, and internationally. So... For those of you that, uh, you know, want to see me up close and, you know, I'm pretty stunning in real life, (laughs) I'll be signing bottles of my Made in Calgary, lest you forget, 10 times distilled money bag vodka at the Minhas Brewery, 7 p.m. Wednesday night. So, and the the other place is Royal Oak Sobeys. Mm At 10 a.m. Thursday. This is a pretty amazing opportunity to meet you, to try your new vodka. I know you're going to be signing some of the bottles. Can I ask you just, you know, about Kiss? Because, you know, that's how we originally met you, and you've been so much more ever since. But what do you think, why do you think that people fell in love with the band Kiss back in the day and and that the longevity continues today? We still love this iconic rock band of yours. You're very kind. Uh, Literally two days ago, I uh, just got back from uh, playing outdoors at Mexico City, the stadium over there for 80,000 fans. And it was insane, just crazy. A few days before that, we were at the stadium in Tokyo. Same thing, nuts. So to answer your question, we're a half century in. And yes, kitties, I still have hair on my head. Unfortunately, <laughs> lots more on my back. <laughs> A long time ago, we decided to put together the band we never saw on stage because we were so sick and tired of bands getting up there who sort of had this notion that they were doing us a favor by letting them, you know, see you. Now, once we looked at the band, there was nothing to look at. They were looking at their shoes. Look at me. Me, I'm playing an A minor chord, and I'm looking down on my guitar, and they dressed like pizza delivery boys. They just didn't have, there was nothing going on on stage. In point of fact, you could close your eyes and it would be the same. You're not missing anything visually. So the live concert experience, as far as we're concerned, is audio and visual. And if you're not giving them uh, either as good as it should, then stay home and listen to your stream and shmeem and and all that digital language stuff. And so the short story is we decided a long time ago to throw down the gauntlet, which is a big word like gymnasium, and we literally decided to introduce ourselves with you wanted the best, you got the best, the hottest band in the world, KISS. And now you got to live up to those words. So I invite anybody and everybody yeah, I know you over there, you hate kiss, you like, you know, you like a foot in cold water. 
an obscure Canadian band that I actually liked. You know, one person out there says, yeah, I remember that. What about Chilliwack? <laughs> yeah, Chilliwack was cool. Yeah, that's right. Chilliwack was cool. <clears throat> what about the headpins? Yep, headpins were cool. Yep. So I invite anybody, if you've never seen KISS, you'll understand what the legend is all about. Mm -hmm. The sad part is, after all the thousands of shows we've done around the world many times, I will never be able to see KISS live. Sadly. There is no live concert experience like seeing Kiss still rocking us today. We will see you, Gene Simmons, right here in Calgary. We'll give everybody all the details. Thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, congrats on the new Money Bag Vodka. Looks pretty awesome. Can't wait to taste it. Thanks, Gene. Pleasure, my honor. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Gene Simmons, of course, from man, <laughs> rock legend from Kiss. He can talk. He's, and I was part of me was thinking, and you, you don't know, cut him off. Yeah, part of me was like, oh, he's a little bit older, so he loves telling. No, no, no. If you've ever seen Gene Simmons, he loves an interview. He mm -hmm. is fantastic. And money bag vodka. I'm looking forward to trying that out, mm -hmm. uh, particularly because we're talking about Minhas Brewery and distillery. And truly, local, local, local. We've got Manjeet and Ravinder, the brother and sister team that started Minhas so many years ago, and it, boy, has it evolved to something else. So yeah, Gene Simmons will be at Minhas tonight at seven o'clock. You can see him. He'll sign some of the bottles. Maybe get to take a picture with them. I can't really say. I'm not sure. But yeah. it's, it's a meet and greet with Gene Simmons, legendary frontman for the rock band Kiss at Minhas tonight at 7. Let's get this out tomorrow as well, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sobeys Liquor Royal Oak.